0: So good morning. Sorry to keep you all waiting, but um, Bhante is here when he was walking up ready to teach when he got an urgent message from Tataloka that um, he needs to respond to, and it's about bhikshuni ordination. As you know, she was, she's been instrumental in uh, supporting the full ordination of women, and some of those happened here. It's still a somewhat controversial thing in some um, Buddhist circles. So there's a Congre- Tibetan Congress that has been um, investigating the possibility of full bhikkhuni ordination, and apparently today they want to get a translation from the Pali, from Bhikkhu Bodhi, to verify some understanding about this process, and it's extremely urgent. So she, uh, we grabbed him just as he was walking up, and he is now on his computer looking to see what this particular translation is, to email it to Germany for the Tibetan Council of Elders who is looking into this question. So your patience and our involvement is supporting the full ordination of women. So we can just sit and hold that in our hearts and and wish the whole process uh, much speed and development so that that will be available for for women everywhere. So please, until he sends his email, we'll just sit quietly and and wait for him to come.
1: Okay, sorry for the delay, folks, but as soon as I walked up to the approach walk, I got a message that somebody in Germany needed a passage translated very urgently. (laughs) Has to go out today. Okay, we'll start with the homage to the Buddha, testing one, two, three, what's happened to it. (laughs) Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sammasambudasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sammasambudasa Namo tasa bhagavato arahato sama sambuddhasa Okay, I'm supposed to speak this morning about the what's called the Abhidhamma. And now the Abhidhamma is sometimes considered like the super advanced teaching in Theravada Buddhism. It's a little bit like the Theravada equivalent of the esoteric teaching. And so normally it's expected that one has studied the teachings of the Sutta Bhitaka before one goes on to the Abhidhamma Pitaka. But today, because this is the only day that I could be here, so they asked me to speak about the Abhidhamma, then I understand in the, over the following days that you'll have classes on the five aggregates, karma and rebirth, Buddha's cosmology, dependent origination, Those are the teachings that are supposed to pave the way for the Abhidhamma. So if some of the things that I say seem a little unfamiliar to you, a bit disjointed, please don't worry and don't run out the door. Um, When I was living in Sri Lanka, I lived in a place called the Forest Hermitage. It's in a forest outside the town of Kandy. And I stayed together with a great German monk. His name was Ven.erable Nyanaponika Terra. And we had a bookcase which was located against a wall and the wall is made out of stone. Now a particular problem that we find in living in the woods, forest in Sri Lanka, every once in a while one notices between the slabs of the bookcase against the wall, one sees these, looks like trails of mud. And when one sees those, one knows that that means that there are termites coming. And visually, we trace the trail of mud to see where it's leading. And then when we pull out the books on which the trail of mud converges, then we find that there are termites, a bunch of termites inside, eating up the pages of the books. And what I had noticed, rather interestingly, over the years when we had these invasions of termites, generally they went for the books on Abhidharma (laughs) in Singhala script, you know, the Sri Lankan script, and in Burmese script. (laughs) And so that made me think that this must be an extremely erudite group of termites. <laughs> and if even they could digest the teachings of the avatar <laughs> <laughs> then human beings should not have anything to fear in such teachings. <laughs> yeah, so don't be discouraged. And if you find some of this material is getting <laughs> dry, obscure. Just think to yourself, if it could provide nourishment for termites, (laughs) it can be nourishing for me. And if termites can find it tasty, perhaps I can find it tasty also. Okay, I want to say a little bit about my approach to studying and presenting the Abhidharma. Because usually within the Theravada tradition, when people teach the Abhidharma, what they do is to rely upon a particular compendium or summary of the Abhidharma system, which was written in the 12th century. It's ascribed to an elder named Anuruddha, and it's called the Abhidhammattha Sangaha, which would be something like a manual of Abhidharma. Okay, so this is a very useful summary of the whole system of the Abhidharma in about fifty pages and it's used as the introduction for teaching the Abhidhamma within the traditional Theravadan countries. But the Abhi, but the Abhidhammata Sangaha was composed in the twelfth century. And the key texts or the core text of the Abhidhamma are the texts of the Abhidharma Bitaka, which appeared perhaps second century. So there's something like fourteen centuries between the actual canonical Abhidhamma and the summary of the Abhidhamma, whereas there are about two or three centuries between the time of the Buddha and the compilation of the Abhidhamma Pitaka. So I like, rather than to present Abhidhamma through the lens of this 12th century manual, to go directly to the canonical texts and explore what's going on in the texts on the basis of these of the canonical Abhidharma. Okay, the basis for the entire Abhidharma system is this collection of texts, which perhaps it was finalized maybe the first century BC, and it's called the Abhidhamma Bhitaka. Within the Pali Canon we have three collections. One is called the Sutta Bitaka, which is the collection of discourses by the Buddha and by in some cases, the Buddha's disciples, like Sariputta, Ananda, Mahakasapa, and so on. Then there is the Vinaya Bhitaka, which is the collection of regulations, rules and regulations for the monastic order. Then there's the Abhidhamma Bhitaka. And so the two collections which are concerned with dhamma rather than with discipline are the Sutta Bhitaka and the Abhidhamma Bhitaka. Maybe I should write this. This forces me to be especially mindful. (laughs) Okay, then based on the Abhidhamma Bhittaka, there developed over several centuries a series of commentaries on the Abhidhamma because the Abhidhamma canonical texts are somewhat written in a somewhat obscure style because these texts were originally transmitted verbally through memorization and oral transmission. And so when you're producing a text that has to be orally transmitted, you can't have lengthy, complex explanations, but you have to reduce the teaching to fixed, schematic type of formulas. So for that reason, a body of commentaries developed to explain the Abhidhamma and then... You see, the trick in being a commentator is to leave some sentences deliberately a little bit obscure so that then you have pupils and you explain it to the pupils and you tell your pupils, you write a commentary on my commentary. <laughs> <laughs> and so the commentary, commentaries would sometimes leave passages a bit obscure or need a further elaboration. So this led to a body of texts which was called the Abhidhamma sub-commentaries, or in the Indian languages, they call them the Abhidhamma Tikas. But then, you know, several generations or centuries later, they say that the intellectual capacities of humankind started to deteriorate and they couldn't learn so much literature and the students must have been complaining to their teachers Man, you expect me to learn so many texts? I can't even get my foot in the front door and I'm being examined on canonical texts, commentaries, tikkas. Help me. So then, later generation, there appeared texts which they call the Abhidhamma summaries. (laughs) That's D-H. But guess what happened with the Abhidhamma summaries? (laughs) No, not further reduction. The commentaries <laughs> <on>. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so then they had to appear. The pupils of the authors of the Abhidharma summaries would think our teacher is really mystifying us, <laughs> but we understand what he's trying to say, so we'll write commentaries on his summaries. <laughs> and then what happened to those commentaries? Before the termites got there. (laughs) Sub-commentaries. So in this way, we get this great body of Abhidharma literature going through stages of expansion, contraction, expansion again. And now we have one day to get the whole thing in. (laughs) It's being recorded, is it? So somebody can write... An Abhidhamma comment, commentary for the uh, an Abhidhamma summary for the 21st century for busy people <laughs> who are on the move. Okay, now there's two attitudes that you find in the Theravada world towards the Abhidhamma, sort of two polar, di- diametrical opposites. One you find especially amongst the Burmese monastics, that is, the Sutta Bhitaka are the Buddha's discourses to the common people, when the Buddha was explaining the Dhamma, he had to make many concessions that are limited capacities for understanding of ordinary people. so the Sutta and the Buddha had to speak in conventional language, and so the sutta pitaka is just a kind of provisional or expedient teaching, but when you get want to get to the real deal, you study the abhidhamma pitaka that's the Burmese one finds that attitude very often in Burma. And so many of the Burmese, when they come to the Dhamma, they're immediately introduced to the Abhidhamma, usually through the summaries. So that's one attitude. Then there's another attitude, which is attitude that one finds amongst those that I call sometimes Sutta Puris. One often finds these maybe in the Thai forest tradition, also among some monks in Sri Lanka who are sort of reacting against the emphasis in Abhidhamma. Their view is we have to go back to the suttas, the Abhidhamma scholars date from a later period. So that's not the word of the Buddha. Um, If we're really going to make progress in the Dhamma, we should just adhere to what's the authentic word of the Buddha That one finds only in the Sutta Pitaka. So get rid of the Abhidhamma Pitaka, or don't pay any attention to it. That's another extreme attitude. My own sort of attitude is based on what I would call a historical understanding of Buddhism, which is to try to see that Buddhism naturally undergoes stages of historical development in which teachers are trying to bring out different aspects to extract different aspects impl- implications potentialities in the original teaching and you know to explore their significance so i see that kind of expanding process of investigation and understanding is taking place and this is why i tend to approach the abhidhamma first through the strata of the canonical texts and try to see what is going on in these texts. What are the founders of the Abhidhamma system trying to do with these texts? Within the Theravada tradition, the commentarial tradition, there's an account which says, and this is accepted by many traditionalists, that the Abhidhamma Pitaka was actually taught by the Buddha. But there's a little sort of legend that explains how the Buddha taught the Abhidhamma. I think the inheritors of this tradition realized that they couldn't say that the Buddha taught the Abhidhamma, Pitaka, to human beings. And so there's a story that the Buddha's mother passed away seven days after he was born. And after she passed away, she was reborn in one of the heavenly worlds, the Tusita heavenly world. Then after the Buddha became enlightened and was well-established as a teacher, on one occasion he wanted to repay the kindness of his mother for giving birth to him. And so he decided to spend the three months of the rainy season in the heavenly realms, teaching the Dhamma to his mother. And so that rainy season, at the beginning of the rainy season, the Buddha ascended to the heavenly world and when he arrived there, all of the deities or devas from many world systems assembled around him with his mother at the head of this group of devas. And on that occasion, the Buddha taught the Abhidhamma to all of the deities, the devas. <laughs> but each day, the Buddha would have to go on alms round in the human world. I guess he was not able to subsist on the kind of food that the deities subsisted on. So what he would do would be to create a double of himself which would remain in the deva world teaching the Abhidhamma while the Buddha would come down to the human world to go on alms round in one of the northern provinces so that he wouldn't be recognized there. And each time the Buddha did this, his disciple Sariputta would come to see him and the Buddha would teach Sariputta an outline of the teaching he had given that day in the Deva world. (laughs) And so then Sariputta received the outline of the Abhidhamma from the Buddha and then expanded and elaborated it into the Abhidhamma that we have today. Then at the end of the three months rain retreat, the Buddha came back into the human world. So this seems to be a kind of legend intended to validate the Abhidhamma as word of the Buddha. But also, I think, underlying that legend, there might be a kernel of historical truth which ascribes a special significance to Sariputta's relationship to the Abhidharma, Because from the studies of historical studies, from the studies of historical scholars, the dominant conjecture is that the Abhidharma that we have today would have developed or evolved within the lineage or chain of teachers stemming from Sariputta. And so what I'm trying to do now in this first session is to look at the teachings from the sutta Bhitaka, which could have been f- functioning as the seeds out of which the Abhidhamma developed. You know, to see what are the features of the Abhidhamma that we can already see foreshadowed within the Sutta-bitaka. You know that the, the texts within the Sutta-bitaka are incorporated into four collections, actually five collections, and we call these collections Nikayas, the word Nikaya does mean a collection. So we have Diga Nikaya, the long collection, Majjima Nikaya, the middle length collection, Sanyuta Nikaya, the collection of thematically connected discourses, and then Anguttara Nikaya, the collection of suttas which are organized according to a numerical scheme. Now, within the Nikayas themselves, we find the word Abhidhamma used. So Abhidhamma, is the word itself is not an invention of later thinkers. But one finds in some suttas an expression, the monks were engaged in Abhidhamma kattang. That means the monks were engaged in talk on Abhidhamma or a discussion of Abhidhamma. And sometimes the commentators will say that the monks were discussing the Abhidhamma vitaka, but that seems improbable. One conjecture is that the word Abhidhamma functions, we call this a self-referential word, that the prefix abhi has the meaning of with reference to. So this would mean that the monks were engaged in the discussion with reference to the Dhamma, a discussion about the Dhamma. But there's another possibility. The word abhi, sometimes it has the meaning of higher. And I think in my translation of the Nikaya, the middle-length discourses, I might have rendered it the higher Dhamma, which now I would regret that. I think that was a mistake. But abhi could indicate something extra to or beyond the Dhamma. And what's especially important to note, interesting to note, in the suttas, whenever we find the word Abhidhamma occurring, it's always occurring in a reference to discussions that monks are having with one another. We don't find, on this occasion, the Buddha was teaching Abhidhamma to the monks. It's always I think it's always, the monks were dis- engaged in a discussion about the Abhidhamma. Or the Buddha himself might say, now on some occasion, you monks might be involved in the discussion about the Abhidhamma. But it seems to always be something going on between the monks, amongst the monks. And so what seems, what would we conjecture to be this kind of discussion that the monks were engaged in? One conjecture would be that it was a discussion which pursued the Dhamma into more technical, detailed waters than one finds within the bulk of the Buddha's discourses. So we could call it perhaps a finer level of analysis of the Dhamma, a more detailed exploration of the implications of the Dhamma, chose a few examples of some suttas where one finds this kind of Abhidhamma used in what might be the sense. There's a sutta, it occurs in the Majjhima Nikaya, it's number 34. It's called the Larger Discourse on the Gosinga Forest. And the monks are discussing amongst themselves what kind of monk could beautify that, that forest and where they were living and each monk is asked a question, and each monk explains according to his own idea. And so when Mahamogalana, a prominent disciple of the Buddha, is asked to describe his conception of the ideal monk, he says that two monks would be engaged in a talk on the Abhidhamma, and they would question each other, and each being questioned, Would answer without any foundering, without any hesitation, and their talk rolls on in accordance with the Dhamma. So, this indicates that the Abhidhamma discussion is a discussion in which one monk is asking questions of another, and then the other monk is replying in answer, is replying to those questions. Then we find some examples of suttas of that type. Again, in the Majjhima Nikaya, there are two suttas called Vedala suttas, Majjhima Nikaya 43, 44. In one of these suttas, Sariputta and another monk called Mahakotita are having a discussion about rather technical matters. And in the second one, There is a bhikkhuni, a nun named Damadina, who is having a conversation with a lay supporter, a male lay supporter, named Visaka. In each of these discourses, one asks questions of the other, and the other answers those questions. And the questions are generally dealing with really subtle and deep points, which one doesn't find presented in the usual discourses of the Buddha. So here it seems that they are exploring these subtler issues. So we could say that, or at least speculate, that these types of suttas, which involve questions and answers between the monks, could have been one seed out of which the Abhidhamma evolved. Another seed is... a a pair of suttas that occurs at the very end of the Diga Nikaya. These two suttas were compiled by Venerable Sariputta. Apparently, this is close to the time of the Buddha's passing away. And already, the teacher of the Jains had passed away, and the Buddhists were commenting that after Mahavira passed away, his teaching is starting to break apart. And so Sariputta might have been concerned that once the Buddha passes away, we don't want his teaching to meet the same fate. And so Sariputta set out to collect the Buddha's teachings according to certain numerical schemes. One of them, the Sangiti Sutta, simply arranges teachings according to this typical numerical scheme, going from ones to twos to threes, up to tens, I think. But the second of the two suttas, Digha 34, called the Dasutara Sutta, increasing up to ten, uses a more meaningful pattern for arranging the suttas. It starts off with this numerical scheme, ones up to tens, but it presents each numerical group according to it uses a number of categories, like there is something which... Okay, things that are helpful, things that should be developed, things that should be fully understood, things that should be abandoned, and so on and so on, things that should be directly known, things that should be realized. And then for, to take an example of that in the section on the ones, what is the one thing that is very helpful? Heedfulness or diligence in wholesome practices. What is to be developed? The one thing to be developed, mindfulness of the body. So, strong emphasis on mindfulness there. What is to be fully understood? Contact through the senses. Contact with objects through the senses. What is to be abandoned? The conceit, I am. What is to be directly known? That all living beings subsist by food. And what is to be realized? Unshakable liberation of mind. So that's for the ones, but if you look in the sutta yourself, you'll see how that same scheme is continued all the way up to the tens. What are the ten things to be? Ten things that are helpful, ten things that are to be developed, and so on, up to the ten things to be realized. One thing that would be very helpful right now is a cup of tea. Okay, then there are certain... Is this getting too technical? No. Okay. I don't want to, you know, get too technical. Okay. There are certain suttas already included within the Sutta Pitaka which seem to foreshadow the distinctive method of the Abhidhamma, or at least they're giving. Okay. Yes, foreshadowing the method of the Abhidhamma. Okay. One of these is a sutta spoken by Sariputta, so you can start seeing the connection here. Actually. The three that I've singled out are all spoken by Sariputta. Okay, one of these, it's Majjimini Kaya Sutta number 28. It's called The Larger Discourse on the Elephant's Footprint. In this sutta, the Venerable Sariputta, he begins by saying that of all the Buddha's teachings, the teaching that contains all the other beneficial teachings is the Four Noble Truths just as the elephant's footprint is so large that it could contain the footprints of all the, the other animals. Then Sariputta goes through a somewhat detailed analysis, first of the aggregate. Oh, then he takes the first noble truth. He goes from four noble truths to the first noble truth, analyzes the first noble truth according to its different aspects, picks up the aspect of the five aggregates, which you'll be getting in a few days, Out of the five aggregates, he takes the aggregate of material form. From the aggregate of material form, he breaks it down into the four primary elements, the earth, water, heat, or fire, and air elements. And then he analyzes each of the four elements. But then what I find more interesting is the second part of the discourse, where Sariputta takes the six sense bases as his starting point, six sense bases are the eye, ear, nose, tongue, physical body, and mind. Then he explains how an occasion of experience arises through each of the sense bases. Starting with the eye, for example, how in dependence upon the eye, forms, and attention to the form, there arises a section of or an occasion of visual consciousness, the seeing of a form, then within that occasion of visual consciousness, he says, that which is of a material nature belongs to the form aggregate. That which is of the nature of feeling belongs to the feeling aggregate. That which perceives belongs to the perception aggregate. Those volitional activities belong to the aggregate of volitional activities, and the cognizing or knowing of the form is the aggregate of consciousness. And so here we see the distinctive analytical method of the Abhidhamma already coming into play, a unit of experience, first with the Four Noble Truths. We start breaking them down till we get all of the constituents of the form aggregate, then we go back to the actual experience, break the experience down through each of the six senses into the five aggregates present on that occasion. Okay, another sutta which illustrates the, say, four signs or seeds of the Abhidhamma is called the Anupada Sutta. The Sutta, A Discourse on Individual Factors. It's Nikaya Sutra, 111. And in the Sutta, the Buddha is speaking about Sariputta's experience when he was training for attainment of enlightenment. What kind of meditative training he underwent. And he explains how Sariputta would enter into each of the first the four jhanas, four meditative absorptions, then the four formless meditations. After entering into each of these attainments, he would reflect back upon it or investigate it and distinguish the particular mental factors that were present on that occasion. So we find, for example, okay, I have this in the sheets that I handed out, Sariputta enters and dwells in the first jhana. Then he determined individually the dhammas, that is the factors that were present on that occasion in the first jhana. So he saw that there was present vitaka, vichara, that's what's translated here, thought, examination, piti and sukha, rapture and pleasure, a kagata that's one-pointedness of mind, then a whole bundle of other factors, contact, feeling, perception, volition, and mind, desire, resolution, energy, mindfulness, equanimity, and attention. So here Sariputta is dissecting this experience of jhana into a whole complex of individual factors, mental factors, and seeing how that jhanic experience of mental unification is actually an assemblage of constituent parts or constituent factors. And then he will see how these factors arise and vanish. So that leads into the insight into impermanence. And then this is almost like, very much like, the first chapter of the Dhammasangani, the first book of the Abhidhamma, which takes each of the states of consciousness and then explains what factors are present on that occasion of consciousness. So the connection is very close. Okay, another seed for the development of the Abhidhamma are a set of suttas which are called Vibhanga suttas. The word Vibhanga means analysis. Bhanga is breaking and V has an intensifying effect, so it's breaking down or analyzing. And what takes place in a Vibhanga Sutta is that generally the Buddha or sometimes another uh, one of the monks will introduce a particular topic, presenting it with a short statement, a concise statement. Then he'll take each term within that short statement and give an elaboration or an explanation of it. Okay, we have here some of the Vibhanga suttas. We have, for Paticha Samuppada, dependent origination, there's a Vibhanga sutta, an analysis, where you must have come across the 12 factors of dependent origination. Based upon ignorance, there arises sankharas. Based on the sankharas, volitions, there arises consciousness and so on. So the the Vibhanga Sutta then goes back and raises the question, what is old age and death? Then it'll give a definition. So-and-so, that is old age. Then so-and-so, 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 that is death. What is birth? Okay, then a series of synonyms for birth. And going back, 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 all the ways till you get what is ignorance, then a definition of ignorance. And so we have a... Vibhanga Sutta for dependent origination. We have Vibhanga Suttas on the five aggregates, the uh, six or twelve sense bases, the four foundations of mindfulness, the five faculties, four idipadas, the bases for psychic powers, the four noble truths. Also on the four noble truths, we have Majjimini Kaya Sutta number 141. This again is spoken by Sariputta. And in that sutta, he defines. He takes the Buddha's first discourse, turning the wheel of the Dharma, and he gives formal definitions of each of the major terms within that sutta. Okay, so the Vibhanga sutta suttas now we could say are one seed for the unfolding of the Abhidhamma, and then what's particularly interesting in the Abhidhamma Pitaka we have a set of seven books, seven treatises. The first one I referred to is called the Dhamma Sangani. And so usually we take the Dhamma Sangani to be the basis for understanding the Abhidhamma method. But the collection that I think is probably the oldest strata of the Abhidhamma is in the second book, which is called the Vibhanga. It's called the Book of Analysis, the book of analysis, Vibhanga, contains 18 chapters, and I included, I hope, this is Appendix 1, page 8. So this shows the relationship between the Vibhanga and the Sanyutta Yeah, this is what I would conjecture to be one of the, I have it on. I have it, page 8. You have page 8? Okay. It's called The Vibhanga and its Relation to the Sanyuta Nikaya. So I would conjecture that the Sangyutta Nikaya could have been the collection which was elaborated to form the Vibhanga of the Abhidharma Pitaka, and then I would say that this particular part of the Vibhanga could have been the beginning of the Abhidharma Pitaka, Of course, what's significant. Okay, first, if you just look on the appendix, you could see that the Vibhanga starts off with the chapter on the five aggregates, which seems to be derived from Sanyuta, chapter 22, and then one, two, three, four, up to about 12 chapters in the Vibhanga seem to be Elaborations, developments out of chapters in the Samyutta Nikaya. Now, each of these chapters, or most of them, have two sections, two subsections. One subsection is called Analysis According to the Sutta Method, the second section is called Analysis According to the Abhidhamma Method. Now, the analysis according to the sutta method I would take to be the older, of course, the older of the two sections. And what this section does is to take a fixed formula that one will meet in the suttas. For example, if you've read Majjhima Nikaya, Sangyuta Nikaya, again and again, when you come across a passage on the five aggregates, it will say, okay, what are the five aggregates? can't remember them. Can anybody help me? You have to get them at. Go on. And did you say, mention the first one? Right, exactly. Okay, very good. Rupa Vedana, that's excellent Pali also. Rupa Vedana, Sanya, Sankara, Vijnana. Okay, now what the Sutta will say. It'll say, what is the aggregate of material form, for example? Whatever material form there is, past, present, future, internal or external, gross or subtle, inferior or superior, far or near, that is the aggregate of material form. Then the same thing with regard to feeling, perception, and so on. Okay, now what the Vibhanga in the Abhidhamma does is to take each of these terms. So it'll st- say, okay, what is meant by material form that is past? Whatever material form there is that is past, seized, gone, vanished, perished. We run out of words for a <laughs> already, already past, that having arisen has vanished, that's past, that belongs to the past, included in the past that is, the four elements and the material form based on the four elements, this is called form that is past. Then similar definitions of future, present, internal, external, for each of these terms. So we could conjecture that, you know, even in the Buddha's time, I would, I would conjecture that the monks would have been saying when the Buddha spoke about past, present, future, how do we define these terms exactly? And so these are the definitions that he came up with, with, that they came up with. And so this became incorporated into, I would call this, the older strata of the Vibhanga. Then we come to what's called the treatment of form according to the Abhidhamma method, treats material form according to the distinctive categories of the Abhidhamma, which we'll come across some of them later today. So it wouldn't be So useful to bring that up right now. But we could see this close connection between the the Vibhanga suttas and then the Vibhanga as maybe the archaic, original Abhidhamma texts, which then became elaborated according to new methods until one gets a new Abhidhamma system around which constellates the other books of the Abhidhamma. Okay, now another. This is also a very important topic. The suttas often speak when they're describing the kind of monk that one should approach to learn the Dhamma. They describe this monk as one who's an expert in the suttas, or I'm sorry, an expert in the Dhamma, an expert in the Vinaya, an expert in something called the matikas. The matika, it's based on the word mata. Does anybody know the meaning of the word mata? It should be very evident. Exactly. Who said that? Exactly. Do you know Pali? I (laughs) do (laughs) now. Yeah. This particular division of the teaching is called matika. Matika is based on the word mata. And then I asked, what does the word mata mean? I said it should be intuitively obvious. She picked up the intuition that mata means mother. So what does a mother do? I mean, she does many things, but one of the things that makes her a mother is that she gives birth. So a matika, we could say, is an outline of the teaching from which one can draw out many different aspects of the teaching and maybe by connecting different matikas you can connect different aspects of the teaching so you get a sense of the overall structure or pattern of the teaching. I want to show you how a matika might work. Okay, so so, first, some of the things that might be included within the mātika. I have mentioned them in the handout. You might have a mātika that includes the five aggregates, the twelve sense bases, that's the six sense organs and their objects, the six elements or the eighteen elements, or else the thirty-seven Bodhipakya Dhammas, aids to enlightenment or wings to awakening. Okay, and so... When one is a knower of the matika, then one knows these different outlines and one knows how to connect them. So somebody... Okay, it's your job today, Venerable Sumana, to give a discourse on the Noble Eightfold Path. My job! What am I going to do? I'm frightened. I have to speak to... A whole f- room full of people on the Noble Eightfold Path? What am I going to do? Don't you know the Matika? Okay, so Sumana gets up there. He okay, said, so We'll start with eight views. It's going to go down to Okay, Sumana, you start with this. But what am I going to do? I have to fill an hour with the talk and I'm just going to mention eight things? But don't you know how to break them down? What did I learn? Okay. Right view. What's right view? You know, I'm getting old. My memory is not so good. What is right view? Okay. But you're not just going to say understanding the four noble truths. Of course, you get rid of that in three seconds. So what are you going to say? Right, exactly. (laughs) So understanding dukkha origin cessation and death. Then Okay, so now we've advanced from three (laughs) seconds up to (laughs) ten (laughs) seconds. (laughs) Understanding dukkha help me, I'm going to run out of time. So then you get different aspects till eventually you get to what? Well, no, first with dukkha. No, I'm not yet to the origin. There are 12 aspects. I just want to get to the last one. No. I, I heard it coming from this door. but you're one of the teachers. Wait, ah! That's not a way to help your students. (laughs) Okay. So we got the five aggregates. Now I have only an hour? (laughs) And then we get to right effort. What am I going to do with right effort? Okay, Sumana, so you get an hour on Monday, an hour on Tuesday. You could use your hour on Monday for this. Now you have another hour to fill up on Tuesday with these three factors. Okay, say it. Don't be afraid. Okay, you're on the right track. I don't... Yeah, so there are the, the four right efforts. So you get explain four right efforts. Okay, then he comes to right mindfulness. Okay, so he has four right aspects of four right, uh, four foundations of mindfulness. Okay, now he's complaining, I have to get right effort and right mindfulness all on Tuesday? Okay, Sumana, you have another day. You get an hour on Wednesday. So... Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday classes. <laughs> then concentration. Okay. The four jhanas. So in this way, you're starting to construct the matika, and you could get quite a lot in in this matika, you could see. Then even with right view, he comes to origin, cessation, comes to the path. And what is the path? Noble eightfold path. So then you start going on and on and on and on. Okay, so this is one of the characteristics of a learned monk, one who is called a, those monks who are learned, who are heirs to the heritage, though those who are experts on the mātika. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.